Welcome to Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series on the hospitality tabletop industry. Now, here's your host, Dave Turner. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our Seat Yourself podcast. I'm Dave Turner, and I'm your host here at Seat Yourself, and I am fully vaccinated, having just received my second dose of the Moderna vaccine yesterday, so we're all clear on this end. Hopefully you are as well. Of course, by now you know that Seat Yourself is our weekly podcast where we cover the news and items of interest and really anything that's relevant within the food service and hospitality industry. By the way, this is episode number 114 of Seat Yourself, and this week we're back in Studio B of the Tabletop Journal Studios. And as you know, Seat Yourself and Tabletop Journal, we come to you from the beautiful city of Baltimore. Baltimore in the springtime, I assure you, is especially beautiful. With the nearby Chesapeake Bay filling up with boats and the harborside restaurants, they're all starting to take full advantage of the recent great weather we've had to fill up their outside dining. But before we get into today's episode, I want to comment on a post we made over the weekend on LinkedIn. We posted up a a link to an op-ed in the Scotsman's newspaper out of Edinburgh, Scotland. Now, of course, Scotland and all of the UK are beginning to open up like many parts of the US and the rest of the world as well. And in that editorial, Michelin-starred chef Tom Kitchen is quoted as saying that while he's going to open up his Michelin-starred restaurant, he knows he cannot make any money doing it. But the reason he's going to open up his restaurant, now I'm going to quote from the op-ed, Chef Kitchen says, quote unquote, I'm opening up to make a loss because I have a duty to my suppliers. I know how much they're hurting because I've seen the tears in their eyes. And that made me want to remind everyone that while a great deal of attention has been given to the challenges of all types of operators, whether restaurateurs or hoteliers or travel and tourism operators, even cruise lines and airlines, they've all received plenty of attention and more importantly, plenty of financial support. But suppliers to the hospitality industry, suppliers to the hospitality industry, have also suffered during COVID, perhaps maybe even greater than the operators. So let's not forget about that part of the COVID equation as well. Suppliers, and yes, maybe especially tabletop suppliers, have been absolutely racked for the past 14 months or so. And by suppliers, of course, I'm speaking about everybody in the supply chain, from the largest dealers and distributors to the smallest manufacturers. So let's remember to remind all our various governments all around the world that suppliers are hurting too. Special thanks to Edinburgh chef Tom Kitchen for remembering his suppliers. Okay, now moving on to something a bit more upbeat. In today's episode, we've got an old friend, Zandela Rensen Hansen from Copenhagen, Denmark, returning. And today, we're going to be incredibly focused on a single topic. In today's episode, we're talking tiki for the full episode. And of course, Xander is a global authority on the subject of tiki. We've talked about tiki with him before, but today we go a little bit deeper with it. Let's be honest, though. Is there anybody out there who doesn't love tiki cocktails? I doubt it. Tiki cocktails are delicious, they're fun, and they create the perfect vibe in so many types of restaurant and bar concepts. Indoor, outdoor, on the beach, in the city, it really doesn't matter. Tiki plays well just about everywhere. And so we're excited to have our friend and tiki expert here with us today. So with all of that, please help me welcome back Zandela Lorenzen Hansen to see yourself and to talk just a little bit tiki. 
And everybody, let's give a big warm seat yourself. Welcome back to our good friend, Zander Ritson Hansen, all the way from Copenhagen, Denmark, to talk about tiki. Today, Xander, we're talking tiki, and I love it. How are you doing? I'm doing doing good. Uh, we can slowly see a uh, light at the end of the tunnel. Our industry will soon recover and can't wait to go for uh, some great tea cocktails. So it's, it's, it's looking brighter and brighter for each day. It is. It is. And, and, and we'll talk a little bit about that before we get off today. But I, I really uh, I love tiki and people say, why the heck are you getting this guy from Denmark to talk about tiki, you know, tiki drinks and tiki cocktails and stuff. But you are the tiki expert and you are our the seat yourself expert as well on cocktails in general. But I start off the ba- most basic of all questions. How the heck did the tiki revolution, if you want to call it that, how did that get started? And why is tiki so popular around the world? Well, I'm, I'm not an expert. I just love tiki. Uh, and if you love something, you, you try to learn as much as you can about the subject. So I think it's, uh, if you're passionate about it, you, you, you will become an expert yourself. Tiki is, is an amazing category within our uh, within cocktails, mixology, hospitality. And it's just something that is it's always a good topic when you go to a bar. The origin actually dates back to, to, to the U.S. Uh, so this is among many, many different cocktail categories that, once again, was built up and created by America. Tiki comes back from from the beginning of, of the uh, 1930s, so almost a hundred year old, where one bar owner, uh, Don Beach, actually brought it to uh, California and opened his first tiki bar. And from there, it it grew very, very, very fast. So within 10, 20 years, you saw in, in the U.S. tiki bars popping up all around the state. Um, and it was just doing after after prohibition and before the depression. So so you had this perfect mix of new cocktails, new flavors, very sweet flavors, which not traditionally from from the U.S. And the whole surrounding you saw. The first bars from from the different tiki bars, which you had all the environment uh, within the bar was tiki tiki tiki, so and very different from the traditional U.S. bars that you had at that, at that time. So, so the whole theme was slowly built up and had the right condition. You just had prohibition and before the depression, where people really wanted something to to take their mind off troubles. And when you see the cocktail with where the tiki glasses, the, the coconut, the bamboo, it must have been amazing to walk in to see those Hallelujah girls dancing around the bar. So I think there's so many things, emotions, setups, uh, visual aids, which just help build tiki within the U.S. very fast. Well, let me tell you this. I can't imagine going anywhere that has anything to do with tiki and not having a phenomenal time. Tiki to me is all about fun and Lord knows the world needs a lot of fun right now. And I think that tiki is going to explode as we come out of pen, uh, this pandemic, the COVID. And I really, a couple of reasons too. I think, I think just beyond the fun, and I know you're a guy that likes to have a lot of fun, Xander, but I, I think just beyond the fun too, you've got fresh fruit and you've got fresh ingredients and things that we've talked about in other segments on Seat Yourself about trends for making drinks more healthy, if you will, cocktails and, and even even uh, low and no alcohol drinks, all using much more fresh ingredients. And that's the essence of tiki, isn't it? 
Uh, basically, um, but I think like tiki so much more. If you look at the tiki, you, you can you see a cocktail, uh, an old fashioned. Well, you, you have the maybe the madman emotion coming in. But if you look at tiki, you, it's it's directly linked to the Caribbean, to Hawaii, to to summer, to sun, to beach. I'm, I'm thinking of girls in hula skirts and po- everywhere in Polynesia. How can you not have fun with that? Exactly. So, so there's so many yeah. strong. Uh, emotions attached to to when you think about tiki's because it it it, it takes you into a, a, a bubble for the time being where you are in the Caribbean so sun its vacation and everything and and the amazing thing with tiki is, is so uh, thought through that you you have the own tiki classes you have the, the the whole setup so for a real tiki bar you have the surrounding with tiki the coconut the bamboo and the glasses. So you, you get the whole experience within a cocktail. So I, I can definitely understand why it grew so fast. And then, you know, Yeah, it's amazing. To, what's amazing to me is you have people, and I'm sure it's the same in Denmark, you have people in their backyards, in their gardens, they have tiki bars. And you have little grass huts and things in their backyards or their homes. And then they're serving tiki drinks or whatever drinks they're serving. But the point really is, is that they're enjoying this, this Polynesian culture. And I think that, um, I think, first of all, from just from a pure pragmatic point of view, from an operator, tiki drinks got to be profitable. They got to be profitable, but they have to be merchandised and they have to be served correctly. And, and I think one of the things... By the way, folks, we're going to put a, uh, a link in the posting of this podcast. We're going to put a link up to Xander's catalog because, Xander, your catalog has 150 pages or whatever it is, and you've got 15 or 20 pages of, of just tiki stuff in there. And I'm just amazed that, that, that you know you really do a great, such a such a great job with it. And you've got ceramic tiki glasses, you've got glass ones, you've got metal pieces that, that go on accessories. You know, You've got uh, uh, tiki swizzle sticks, and you've got coconut mugs and everything. It's unbelievable. The only thing you don't have is coconut bras. I don't think you have coconut bras in your. In the, I, don't, I don't have that. Maybe, maybe that's a Jimmy Buffett thing. I don't know. But it, maybe that might be an accessory you might want to add to your catalog next year. I, I do uh, love tiki. I, I will not deny that. I think the whole concept of use who, who doesn't like it if you don't like tiki get out i mean that's the only way i can tell, say it to you you gotta have fun and right now everybody's looking for fun now the interesting also like um so, so tiki is is already big in the u.s i believe will grow more but we still haven't had that big tiki wave in in, in europe but will come now um of course tiki has been here for, for, for a long time but we can see it increasing more and more and more and i get who doesn't love tiki yeah, and I, and I think tiki, I, I don't mean to demean it or whatever, but I think tiki is a real down-to-earth kind of sort of vibe, too. I mean, it's uh, everybody can sort of uh, relate to it. It's not very highbrow in some ways, but it's an escapism, uh, if you want to call it that. It, it, it's a pretty, pretty easy concept, I think, to put together if you want to do it on the, on the run, so to speak. But if you're going to do it right, uh, you do have to invest in in some merchandising and, and to create that that tiki vibe in your in your restaurant or bar. I just think it's a highly profitable category. 
category. And I, I think there's a lot of ways that people can get into the tiki uh, frenzy, if you want to call it that. Well, there are a few rules, like mainly rum product. But from a financial point of view, um, yeah. tiki in general is more expensive than cocktail. The inventory is a little bit more expensive than the normal glass, but not really that much. But from a sales point, you can automatically uh, ask for 20% more because people expect it to be, to be more expensive. And from a communal branding point of view, where if you use Tiki and as we talked before, like the psychology of, 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 the, of the glass mm-hmm. thing, Tiki is something that is going on on Instagram. If you serve a Tiki glass, they will put it on, on their Instagram because it's just something you want to share. So Tiki is amazing right now as a sales tool, but also to income tool. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right, and and uh, it's got to be part of the reason anyway. I know premium rums are are, are growing uh, very quickly, but it's got to be uh, part of the reason why the rum category overall is growing too. Because I think people have realized that they can they've tried to do tiki at home maybe a little bit or tried to do variations of it, but there's nothing quite like going to a great bar and having uh, having a fun time with a group of friends. It's hard not to smile and laugh when you got a, one of the one of the drinks in, in your hand. And um, whether it's a Mai Tai or whatever kind of drink that you might have in, in under the Tiki uh, umbrella. Let's talk a little bit about some of the focus on the fresh ingredients and the quality of Tiki. Because the, people think Tiki may be a sugary drinks and stuff like that. But it's not always that way, is it? No, no, no. In general, it is a sweet cocktail. But it's mainly because it's based on rum. And rum is by nature a sweet spirit. But but also what characterized tiki is the fresh ingredients. You use fresh pineapple and general fresh uh, leaves if you want to for, for garnish. So so with the the, uh, the cocktail uh, theme of cocktail, you have rum as the main ingredients as spirit, but fresh ingredients, fresh pressed OJ or pineapple juice. And many also different flavors, which are all great, which you normally don't use that much in a cocktail. So, so it's not just the design of the glass, but definitely also um, high quality ingredients, since there are so many flavors in a tiki that it has to be like good quality for it to taste good. I know the the trends towards eating more fresh foods, uh, better ingredients, better quality food. Is, is that translating over to the tiki uh, theme too? Is I, I think it is, isn't it? I mean, are people are, aren't there some innovations within the tiki ranges as well? Some new things. It isn't just uh, pineapple juice and, and rum anymore. It's a lot more to it than that, right? Definitely, there's a lot of new flavors coming in, new exotic. Well, if, if you have a tiki, if you have the tiki glass, if you have the rum, you can almost do anything you want, and it will still be within the category of, of, of tiki. Of course, you can't put an old-fashioned tiki glass and call tiki, but in general, a lot of new flavors, new ideas, innovation, new types of juice, which um, maybe wasn't available 100 years ago, are, are, are adding to the category. So, so tiki is, is a develop, uh, it's a category that's under development all the time since the world getting smaller we we learn about new ways to to produce the, the different products the ingredients but also get new ingredients we didn't have before let me ask you a question about travel from let's say the 50s up through 
just recently pre-COVID, travel around the world has gotten so much easier and, and people are traveling uh, not only just to uh, Hawaii and to uh, the islands, Polynesian islands and all that, but traveling just in general. And and, and, and there's more, the, the world has gotten a lot smaller. And I know pan, the pandemic has caused everybody to sort of stay put for a while. But don't you think that with the, uh, the travel over the last several decades, four or five decades, has really uh, increased increase the awareness of tiki and the tiki trends and and all that i think definitely especially the last 60 years uh, tiki is, is is known in europe but not as, yep. as as in the u.s and it was u.s bartenders and customers of the bars in the u.s brought it to europe so, so we, we see it here but nowhere near the range as in the u.s so travel has definitely made it uh, more accessible and we are still growing with the, the, the theme here and as a mix of travel, rum brands really digging into it and adapting it into to their marketing platform and strategy. But yeah, travel from the U.S., U.S. bartenders taking with them when, when, when they travel, television also. So a lot of the things that has made it come to, to all corners of the world. Yeah, I think so too, and and I think it's a great escape kind of uh, concept, and whether it's a Jimmy Buffett escapism type thing or whatever, but the the tiki is here to stay. I, the question I have now is the future of tiki. Where do you see in the future the tiki concept going? Is it going in the? Is it going in the, back to the more traditional basics of, of tiki, or is it going to go take different directions as you go forward? How do you see tiki going ahead? Quality. I think the quality will only go up. I think the quality of, of, of the ceramic will only increase, the, but not only stay with ceramic. We see more and more uh, real glass or uh, traditional glass being used for, for tiki wars being designed. And we already see that companies like, like uh, Libby are already ahead of, of that and were, uh, I think, the first to, to, to implement that in their glass production. So the quality of the ceramic will increase. The, the range the more people want it, the more you will, will make it and the, the cheaper it gets. So the more people demand, the, the more bigger the range will be. So we see more and more different tiki styles since it will be more affordable. With companies like Libby creating their own tiki glasses in, 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 in soda lime and traditional glass, it will also be more available for, for smaller bars, uh, more restaurant bars. We see that rums will be increasingly using it as their signature cocktail. Also, in general, the ingredients and with social media, tiki is easy to promote. It's, it, it looks good on your Instagram. That you just post oh, awesome, yeah. and you, you can post a picture of a tiki with some uh, kind of fire in it, a flame or something, and you don't even know what's in there. But you immediately just, uh, I want to try that. So, so tiki will only in, in increase, but it is a mixture of the quality of the ingredients will grow up, the quality of, of the product will grow up, and also a rather uh, a larger range, and it's more affordable for for bars and restaurants to, to afford those glasses. So, and for smaller bars, we'll, I think we'll slowly implement into the menu, not 10 cocktails, tea cocktails, but maybe one or two. And from there, build upon it. So just like you see mocktails on almost all menus right now, I think the same will happen with tiki since it is something that is popular 
by customers. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. You mentioned Libby. Libby's a phenomenal company. They've got so many different glassware products and dinnerware products here in the States and all that. But Rack Porcelain introduced their own brand of, uh, their own collection of tiki uh, mugs, let's call them, but they're, they're cylindrical mugs. But they also introduced dinnerware to match in about four, five, six different colors. And so, so I think that, you know, I think that's interesting too when you start, when companies start to bring in dinnerware to match up with the tiki concept concept or whether they have the the beverage in the drink or whether they be ceramic or glass or, or whatever for the beverage they're also now maybe expanding into the food section too so i think that's a that's a, an interesting brilliant comparison like so, so for olivia's more like an example since they were one uh the first from all i know to do store lime also with, with tableware what we talked about some time before is like the whole universe surrounding mixology, hospitality, the, the catering and everything, that for Tiki to work in the future, you need to hold, you need, you need to have like the right setup and everything. And if you can combine it with, with the right tableware, it, it only increases the, the universe that the customers are walking into. And I think there'll be a, a, a crossing of, of from within our industry to from, from, from chef to tableware to glassware and everything will, will there'll be a crossing. We're here with Xander Loritzen Hansen, our old friend who's, who's joined us many times on Seat Yourself. We're talking Tiki today, and we're having some fun about that. But it, Tiki is a very, it, while it's a fun concept, it's obviously a very serious one in the sense that it drives a lot of vibe and a lot of profit for the operators. So we're going to take a break right now. And Xander, when we come back, I want to talk about a little bit more about Tiki, but then I want to also touch just a little bit on what's going on in Europe as we come out of COVID, because everybody's in a little different place there. But mostly I want to talk Tiki with my friend Xander Lorenz and Hanson from Copenhagen. We'll be right back. This episode of Seat Yourself is sponsored in part by the Edward Don and Company. Everything but the food for nearly a hundred years. And if you have not yet signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, now would be a great time to do so. Go to tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. It's a quick and easy sign up and a great way to stay on top of all the important going ons in the world of hospitality tabletop. That's tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. And welcome back, everybody. We're here with our friend, good friend, Zandler Ritson Hansen from Copenhagen, and we're talking Tiki today. And I, when we started off, we kind of skipped through a little bit of the origins of Tiki, and I don't want people to feel cheated here. I did a little research, too, because I knew I'd have to bring my A-game when I was speaking with you, because you're the Tiki guru. But I did a little bit of research, and what I was able to find out about the origins of Tiki is... When I say the Maori warriors from New Zealand, do you, you know who the Maori warriors are? Everybody knows the Maori. The big has a great heritage, uh, the Maori tribe, and the faces and, and the imagery that we associate with tiki and on the mugs and the glassware and everything. Those evidently were carved in trees. Those are uh, images that were carved in trees originally. That's amazing to me that there is some legitimacy. It's not just a made-up story by some guy who called himself Don the Beachcomber. Yeah, it's, 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 the origin is, is, is an interesting story. The rumor has it that, that he was helping his uncle with some shipment, which is a better word for bootlegging in, in the old days. 
Shh, we won't tell anybody. We will not tell anybody. But through his travel to, to Polynesia, he, he got more and more from, from the culture. But the interesting part is that tiki cocktails was not a thing until uh, 1930s in the U.S., where he took all what he, he knew from his, his travels and opened a bar with tiki and, and uh, in his restaurant, his bar decorated with it. So, so I think um, one thing that's important to, to remember when you talk about uh, um, origin of tiki is, is, is the U.S. convention taking inspiration from, from other cultures and adding to the American theme of cocktails and creating tiki. And from there, it grew fast. So, so I, th- I think it's, it's an, another amazing cocktail sales segment developed and produced by the U.S. Yeah, but it, the one thing that runs through runs through all of tiki is this rum culture, right? Isn't rum rum a common thread in, in pretty much all the cocktails from tiki? Yes, it's, it's the uh, main ingredient. Uh, it would be hard to create a, a whiskey-based tiki cocktail, ah. the primary spirit. But since in his travel, it was mostly rum. So it, And it is, as we mentioned earlier in, in, in the podcast, it is a sweet cocktail and sweet because of primary the, the, the rum. So with tiki is the, the, the decoration, the specific glass, but especially also the, the rum. And that's also what makes it so unique and great about tiki. Yeah, and does it matter if it's uh, dark rum or light rum going into in the tiki cocktail? It depends on on the cocktail, but generally, uh, if you look at at tiki, it's, it's it's a potent drink. There is often more than enough alcohol in there. So if you look at at tiki, never, never, never. Yeah, <laughs> it's a potent uh, rum uh, drink. So so yeah, you, you you need to be ready when when you get a tiki cocktail. But I think it's in, in general, if if you look at tiki, remember like where it came from. It actually came from outside the U.S. Somebody took all the best thing from the from the culture and added into to, to or an already existing drinking culture. And I, I wouldn't mind being uh, some of the first guests into into the bar of the first tiki bar in the U.S. because it must have been some kind of must have really been a, a, a new world for for the guests. And I can also see why it grew so fast because you went from different bars, you already knew what, what it was. Then you came to a tiki bar, you would definitely come back again. Yeah, it's hard to imagine any drink called a zombie or a planter's punch or a fog cutter not having plenty of alcohol in it. And that always makes for uh, uh, an interesting vibe in any cocktail lounge. And uh, so uh, I'm really excited about the, first of all, um, coming out of COVID, and I want to get on to that a little bit, but but also about the fun role, really. And it's really a, an experience kind of thing the fun role that the tiki and the tiki culture plays. So what I want to do is I want to let all our listeners know that we're going to post a link to the Scandic Bar catalog, the wonderful Scandic Bar catalog. We're going to post that along in our postings when we post up the uh, this episode. So if you go right back to where you found the link to the podcast, you'll find also a link to Scandic Bar, which is Xander's company. And you can look through all the pages he has devoted in his catalog. I think it's 10, 15, 20 pages or whatever, all devoted to tiki and tiki accessories. So uh, Xander is our tiki expert, and we will refer back to him many times. And and we'll put his link in there, too, so you can get a hold of him if you want to know more about the tiki craze. Xander, I want to move on to uh, what's going just a little bit on to what's going on in Europe. And it's now the 1st of May, actually the 3rd of May. Where does 
most of Europe stand right now. I know the U.S. Uh, pretty well, and U.S. is starting to open up a lot in various areas, in various ways. What's going on in Europe? Just before, if, just before we go into next, um, if it's okay. Sure. For people who, who wish to look into to Tiki, I would definitely uh, look into to the different primary people working on it. Uh, you see uh, Don Beach, one of the bartenders who was developing it when, when in the U.S. and, and Trader Wick, they need some recognition for, for what they did. So I, I wouldn't leave this conversation or before mentioning that if people will, will look into more tiki, they should look into to the fathers of the modern tiki. Wait a second. You te you're telling me that you didn't invent the tiki phrase? You didn't. I'm not that old. Not that old. Okay. No, that's right. Don, Don Beach, whose his actual real name, by the way, was Ernest Gant, I believe. But he, anyway, he took the name Don the Beachcomber, which I think is, makes much more sense than Ernest Gant. And of course, everybody in the U.S. knows Trader Vicks. I think it was just important to, to recognize those two. But yeah, um, going, going back to, to, to Europe, so, so COVID happened, big news. But what's interesting is that we can see post-COVID is getting closer and closer. Many countries are still hit quite hard, but there is definitely light at the end of the tunnel. And we can see hospitality slowly gaining footage again. The scenery has definitely changed. Things will not go back to what it was. People had to innovate and there was, there's a new standard within hospitality, restaurant, bars, cafes, servings, the way we drink, how we drink, online classes, etc. So, so we will not go back to where we came from, but I'm very excited to see what will happen within the next 12 months here in Denmark. Uh, I'll be vaccinated, I think, next month and probably all be vaccinated within one and a half month. We see Scandinavia slowly open, more and more countries in Europe. So I think it's going to be very exciting to see how hospitality will have been adapted in the post-COVID area. Yeah, I think right now the hotspots, um, India is just, um, it's a tragic situation what's going on in India right now. And you've got other places around the world, Argentina, Brazil, that are still suffering. And hopefully those places will come out of it very, very quickly. But I think by and large, a lot of the, the countries, and it, and it varies a little bit by country, primarily due to, uh, I think it seems to me like, as an observer, seems to me like the vaccine rollouts some countries have gone faster than others, and and where it's gone well, they seem to be a little bit ahead of the curve. But hopefully places like India and Argentina, whatever, will recover very, very quickly and get back on track. Uh, but you see business uh, returning not to the old days, but in a new normal. You really do believe that, right? Yeah, definitely. At one point, we like with every crisis, there's an ending of a crisis and a new you adapt to, to the new world. So, so you, if you look to the UK, Denmark, and other countries that uh, are slowly opening, the industry has changed. Uh, in, in some areas, there are less competition, which, to be cynical, can be good for the ones who survived. Prices has gone up, but the customer is ready to pay for it. Our whole supply chain has shifted dramatically in Europe, and I'm sure also in the US. We saw how large suppliers ran out of product. There is a shift from product made in Asia to, to more European or U.S. products, so more local based over the continent. And I think the same in the U.S. So I think there's a whole shift going on that prices will go up for, for, the, for the product you pay for because the whole, the whole supply chain has been more expensive. The market has become bigger because the less competitor, sadly, of course. But that's the fact that people not all made it through the, the, the crisis. But also how we interact with one another has changed. I think it will take some time before we hug and 
uh, kiss on the cheeks and everything. That's something we have to relearn. But also how we think sustainability-wise that we had to look, how can we best optimize our setup? And for many bars, especially, they could save money on, on optimizing on how they use the product. So I think a lot of, quote-unquote, in a good way, Kobe have pushed some trends ahead of time because they needed to look into how can I optimize, how can I use less money, how can I sustainability, reuse, zero-use cocktails, etc. How can I use the, the internet going digital? Uh, how can I talk with my customers better? With, with COVID, you had to, to adapt into having a more direct line to your customers, which you maybe didn't have before. So a lot of things we, we had to adapt to survive will continue after, especially the ones that actually made a financial benefit for the industry. Yeah, we've all heard about how uh, the restaurants and the hotels and everybody throughout the hospitality and the travel and tourism business, we've all we've all heard about how people have been uh, ravaged in, in, in those sectors. But one of the things that doesn't get discussed as, as much is how the supply chain people, the suppliers, people like yourself have really suffered through this. And when I say suffered, some have really suffered and, and unfortunately probably are not going to make it out the other side of all this. But but even people that do, that do continue on in their business, their business right now is stalled because of A, lack of inventory and their lack of ability to be able to get it quickly. We were talking before we came on the air, you have uh, you have customers that are, that are looking for product. And fortunately for you, you're in a better situation than most people. You have inventory to supply them with, and that's good. But it's not easy for you, I know. I was, I was lucky. And in many ways, it's more luck than, than anything else that I had a full a very full storage uh, when it all happened and could quickly adapt, but I, it, it was more luck than anything else. That may be the case, but the fact is, is that you have quality inventory when people need it, and that's now. As we come out of COVID, uh, operators who have been either closed completely or operating at 10, 15, 25%, whatever it's been. Now are, uh, they're seeing their business grow and now they need they need supplies. And, and I, I always make it clear, I feel bad for the restaurants and I feel bad for the hotels and the cruise lines and the airlines and all that. But I also feel bad for the supply chain people. And people need to recognize the, the, the pain that has been inflicted on the supply chain within the hospitality and Horeca business around the world. I think it's important for restaurants and bars, cafes, everything to remember that if they if everything opens tomorrow, they will have to wait for for the supply chain to wake up again. Uh, and I think it's important for the the end consumer. And here, thinking about bars and restaurants who have with B two C to do that when they need products, that the whole machinery, the whole machinery has to wake up again. And that that doesn't happen overnight. It takes a long time. And everything, a container from China once cost $2,000, now it's fifteen dollars or $16,000. Everything is expensive. So my hope is that bars and restaurants and everything will remember that their supplier didn't have it easy. And just because we open up, it's not necessarily a good thing because they have to, to start an engine, which has been shut down for a long time. And the bigger the engine, the more difficult it is to start again. And and I will say this: There's a lot of the talent, the the uh, staff, if you will, of companies has gone. 
And now to re to rebuild those staff and and to, to bring to get that talent back on on board, it's not you don't just snap your fingers and bring people back. It's a challenge. It's a challenge for everybody, not only just the operators or restaurateurs, et cetera, but also for the supply chain people. So. Yeah, like, I hope bars and restaurants remember don't don't be too harsh on their suppliers. I was going to say, be nice to your suppliers. Yeah. That's nice. We like nice customers, so everybody seems to take a needs to take a breath and and just be nice. That would be helpful. Xander, this has been great. I learned a lot about Tiki today. I learned a little bit more about what's going on in Europe. And before we go, I want to give you a chance to plug your uh, your website, Scandifar. I know you you've got a new website coming on board very soon, but we're going to put a link up to your your catalog. And do you want people to know it? It'll be the same URL, right? Yes, much nicer, very new uh, website for, especially for export outside of the European Union. So so I'm I'm very excited. It'll take one and a half months for for everything to be finished coding, but it's going to be very exciting. But the um, URL will be the same. And by all means, look at the catalog and get uh, inspiration, especially for the Tiki. Tiki, Tiki. I love it. I love it. Xander Loretzen Hansen, everybody. He is as always, bringing his A game to seat yourself. We appreciate it, Xander. Great being with you, and congratulations on reopening and all the success you're having. We're looking forward to the new website, and you said 45 days. Everything takes a little longer. We'll give you 60. So, anyway, it's great having you. Thanks again. That concludes this week's episode of Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series. For more news, information, and insights on the hospitality tabletop industry, please be sure to check out www.tabletopjournal.com.